1 Timothy chapter 4, we begin with verse 12, where Paul writes to Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And then if you would just flip over another page to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll read just a couple verses from this chapter beginning in verse 3. Where Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers, that with pure conscience and that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 6, and we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. There is a connection between these readings, two verses in particular that constitute our text today. If you would look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Stir up the gift that is in thee. Paul says to Timothy. Now in each of these references, Paul is making reference to the gift of God which was in Timothy. This is something that had been imparted to him. This is a subjective gift, I suppose you could call it. We know, of course, that there are a number of things that can be designated as gifts that are common to all Christians. For example, salvation is a gift. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ himself can be designated as a gift, indeed a gift that defies description. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, we read, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And the reference there is to Christ. God's 
unspeakable gift, God's indescribable gift. Oh, a gift that is more precious than anything and everything you could possibly receive in this world. I sometimes remind our folks when we gather for prayer that when we come together for prayer and we ask the Lord for many things as well we should. The thing to always keep in mind when we are seeking the Lord for various things is that God cannot possibly give us anything that would surpass what he's already given us in his Son. Christ is that unspeakable gift. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a gift. In Acts 2 and verse 38, we read, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now in the case of Timothy, the gift that Paul is making reference to was something that was imparted to him. So we read chapter 1, verse 14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul makes reference to the laying on of his own hands on Timothy. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So in the first instance, it's the hands of the presbytery. In the second instance, it's the hands of Paul himself. And I think the picture emerges here, comes into pretty clear focus, that Paul, as a member of the Presbytery, would have had a part in laying hands on Timothy. Now, this practice of laying on of hands is still practiced in many Presbyterian denominations today, including our own. Whenever an elder or a minister is ordained to his office, an appointed commission is sent by the Presbytery to oversee that ordination. And as a part of that ordination, whatever members of the presbytery are present for that service, there will come a time in the course of that service when the members of the presbytery will come forward, the man being ordained will kneel down, there will be a putting on of the hands of the members of a presbytery upon the one being ordained, which is accompanied by prayer, usually by the moderator of the denomination, Prayer for the man being ordained. I have had that experience. Ron has had that experience. Henry has had that experience. We have all had hands laid upon us at our ordination. Now, we are not of the belief that such laying on of hands imparts some kind of supernatural gift to the one being ordained. I don't know that that was necessarily the case even with Timothy. What it does do, however, this laying on of hands, is it serves to place an official stamp over the ordination procedure 
in such a way that it becomes the testimony of the presbytery that the man being ordained is in their judgment called by God and equipped by God to carry out the ministry that he's being ordained to. So not only the church recognizes the call of God on the man, but beyond the church, the elders and ministers from our other churches in the denomination also recognize the call. And before that man is ordained, there must be a vote by the church that calls him, and there must be a vote by the presbytery to sustain that call, if the church indeed votes to call the man. It's not just a matter of uh, uh, the, the independent action of the church. It goes beyond it. Ordination is a function of presbytery. We see from our text in chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, that along with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, Timothy's ordination was also accompanied with prophecy. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. That raises some interesting questions where there are certain proclamations given by prophets that foretold the ordination of Timothy. Well, perhaps that was the case. There were certainly things that took place in the early church which served a definite purpose for that time, which we don't believe take place today. However, since the ministry of the prophets was not simply to foretell future events, but was even more primarily to proclaim the word of the Lord... It certainly remains a part of our ordination practice today for God's word to be proclaimed at an ordination ceremony. As a charge is given to the man being ordained, as well as a charge given to the congregation in which that newly ordained elder serves. All of this to say, then, that there's a definite sense in which we find Presbyterianism practiced in the ancient church that is still practiced today. And such a practice serves a deeper purpose than to simply enshroud the ordination service with some kind of high church ceremony, so to speak. Ordination, as I say, is a function of the presbytery, it's not simply a function of the local church. And when a man is called to serve as a teaching elder or a ruling elder, it's good to know that he's been scrutinized, not only by that local church, but by the presbytery itself. And he's been scrutinized in terms of his character and his gifts and his calling. This all contributes to a sense of assurance that the man is recognized as being fit and being called by God into the office in which he serves. So this is all well and good. And I think we find an instance in our text then of Presbyterianism in action. 
This is not what I want to direct your attention to, however, this morning. I am interested today in this gift that Timothy is called on, not to neglect, but to stir up. And while I recognize that Paul's letters to Timothy have many fitting applications to ministers, I also believe that we have something in these texts that apply to each and every Christian here today. I remember when I was ordained into the post that I now occupy, the very last part of the service is to let the newly ordained man speak. So it was my turn at last. I was the very last man on the schedule. And when I stood up to speak, I gave testimony to what I believed was my call to the church. And I followed up that by saying, I trust that you regard yourselves as called to the church as well. But this is not simply a matter that pertains to elders or ministers. So that's what I want to focus on this morning, the utilizing or the stirring up of our spiritual gifts. We must stir up our spiritual gifts. And I want to consider, for the moments that remain, how we stir up those spiritual gifts. Let's begin, then, with a word about spiritual gifts in general. If we're going to stir up our gifts, we must do so, first of all, by knowing what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. I mentioned a moment ago a few things that are common to all Christians that are said to be gifts. Salvation is a gift. Christ is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. In the case of Timothy, we're dealing with a gift that is subjective, or in other words, we're dealing with a gift that was in him. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, our text reads. Stir up the gift of God which is in thee, 2 Timothy 1.6. And not only can we see from these verses that the gift that pertained to Timothy was something in him, but we can also see that God himself was the source from which Timothy's gift came. That actually becomes something very important for the Christian to ever keep in mind. The source of gifts is God. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James tells us in the first chapter of his epistle. Among the many problems that was plaguing the Corinthian church, There was the problem of treating their gifts as if they were inherently their own rather than coming from God. So we read in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? There was a great deal of rivalry among factions in the church at Corinth. And the gifting that God had bestowed on many people for service in that church had become a source of 
pride and contention. Now, there is a sense in which every spiritual benefit you receive can and should be viewed as a gift. Paul writes to the Romans, and he says to them in chapter 1 and verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. A few verses later, he states how the imparting of some spiritual gift takes place. So he writes in verse 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Do you see Paul's argument there? He was anxious to come to to those at Rome that he may impart some spiritual gift to them. And the way that the imparting of those spiritual gifts would take place would be through the preaching of the gospel. So you get the drift of his argument. The imparting of some spiritual gift or some spiritual benefit could be expected through the preaching of the gospel. We know, of course, that salvation comes through the preaching of the gospel. We also know that salvation is advanced in the lives of believers through the preaching of the gospel. As you learn of Christ in all his fullness and the greatness of his life and death, you will receive the gift of assurance of salvation. Or in close connection with that, you'll receive the gift of faith or an increase in faith. Now when we come to Romans 12, Paul is dealing more with the kind of gift he has in view, I believe, with Timothy. Notice or listen to what he says in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So you see quite a diversity of gifts in that list. And that list is not an exhaustive list, but it gives you something of a sampling of what spiritual gifts look like. In the case of Timothy, one commentator notes this, the gift then referred to here was that by which Timothy was qualified for the work of the ministry. It relates to his office and qualifications to everything that entered into his fitness for the work. Now it seems today that for the most part, We have no problem recognizing this kind of gift as it pertains to someone in the ministry. Last week, we heard Henry's brother John preach to us. 
My initial impression based on hearing him one time is that he is gifted for that kind of work. But I can't emphasize strongly enough that there are other kinds of works or areas of ministry that also call for the Christian to be gifted. And now we come back to what I referenced earlier from Exodus 36, so that you can see another clear example of how men were gifted for the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Listen again to Exodus 36, verses 1 and 2. Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord had commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, every one whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. You see how there was a stirring up of their hearts, the very thing that Paul is calling on Timothy to do in the case of his gift. Stir it up. And you see the kind of gift here, don't you, that Moses recognized in these men. It wasn't the gift of teaching or preaching or ruling or administration. It was the gift of craftsmanship. Not everyone possesses that kind of gift. I certainly don't possess that kind of gift. What kind of a mess would the Israelites have found themselves in had they received the plans for the tabernacle and then collected the materials for that tabernacle, but then didn't have anyone with the necessary gift of craftsmanship that could make sense of it all and know exactly what to do with those materials. And the thing to note here about Bezalel and Aholiab and other wise-hearted men was that the Lord was the one who put wisdom and understanding into their hearts and minds. It was the Lord that equipped them for the carrying out of such a work. So you begin, I hope, to see what I'm talking about now when I make reference to diverse spiritual gifts found among the people of God. You might say that there is a sense in which these spiritual gifts are natural endowments that become consecrated to the service of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a few things to keep in mind, then, when it comes to spiritual gifts. How often do you find a Christian excusing himself from some area of potential service because he comes to the conclusion that such a service requires the kind of gift that he doesn't have? In some instances, that's understandable. If you were to call on me to fix your car... I'd have a pretty good reason for declining such a call, and I'd be happy to refer you to uh, any number of people. In fact, I'm reminded I received uh, an email this week from Kathy Walker. Uh, she's down in our Orlando church. She wanted to know if I knew anybody who did car repair. She has a nephew lives up here near Butler University. 
I didn't offer to fix that car myself. I was happy to refer her to the mechanical service that I use, Hector Galvin's mobile service. They come to you. <laughs> you don't have to go to them. Great benefit. So, at any rate, I declined such a call. I'm not gifted for it. I'm not a mechanic. On the other hand, there are some people that are more gifted than others when it comes to hospitality. But that doesn't mean that any Christian should excuse himself from the practice of hospitality. I like the approach to spiritual gifts that I once heard from a well-known preacher. This preacher suggested to his congregation that rather than trying to simply discern your spiritual gift, you should instead seek out areas of service. You may discover any number of possibilities when you seek to serve, and as you apply yourselves to various areas of service, you may discover that there are others that may be gifted more than you, and you may also discover that you can minister to others in some ways that others cannot. As long as the focus is on service, and not so much on painstaking soul-searching about my endowments, then your gift will come to the forefront in due time. The most well-known chapter, I suppose, on spiritual gifts is found in 1 Corinthians 12. And in that chapter, Paul likens the use of spiritual gifts to a physical body, and he emphasizes that all are necessary and even essential and it's in the context of those various spiritual gifts that Paul then shows his reader <coughs> what he calls a more excellent way. And that more excellent way is what brings the reader into 1 Corinthians 13, which I'm sure many of you know is that well-known chapter on agape love. Charity, it reads in our authorized version. The word in the Greek is agape, agape love. Let such love for Christ and love for the brethren and love for your neighbor be the driving force behind your service to Christ and your spiritual gift will reveal itself in due course. I dare say we find a striking example of that in the section we read earlier in Numbers chapter 36. My, what givers you had on that occasion. And Paul specifies the gift of giving. Those that have uh, the faith to be givers. And I dare say that in that instance, in Numbers 36, you find a congregation that's, uh, whose hearts are filled to overflowing. You find that 1 Corinthians 13 agape love being demonstrated through mutual service in that chapter. And the needs are met and beyond when it came to building that sanctuary for the wilderness. On the other hand, apart from the Christian being driven by that agape love, 
It won't matter what you do. It will amount to nothing. So let your focus be on cultivating the same kind of love that Christ himself demonstrated, and then be watchful for areas of service, and your spiritual gift will find an outlet for expression. The problem that plagued the Corinthian church, and that I'm sure plagues many churches today, is the problem of losing sight of who it is that bestows spiritual gifts, as well as the problem of pride that tries to assign uh, greater value to the spiritual gifts and treat them as if the person inherently has them and didn't receive them. Keep in mind that there's no such thing as unimportant when it comes to the service of our Savior. And in fact, I, I believe that a very key concept that must be ever kept in mind when it comes to Christian service is simplicity. Don't look for great things to do. Look for simple things to do. I dare say you'll find them. Every member, then, supplies an essential part of the spiritual growth of the body. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 7, Paul writes, For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So with that recognition that every man, and I'm using the term man now generically, every man and woman and even boy and girl, has his proper gift of God, let me come to my next point and final point, which is this. We must stir up our spiritual gifts by heeding the commands that pertain to those gifts. By heeding the commands that pertain to those gifts. Between these two texts this morning, 1 Timothy 4.14 and 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, we find both a negative and a positive command. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Paul writes, 1 Timothy 4.14. There's the negative command. Here is something that you're not supposed to do. You are not to be negligent. You are not to neglect your gift. The word neglect is a word that means literally to make light of or to be careless. In the parable of the wedding feast, we find this illustrated. Listen to these words from Matthew 22 and verse 2 to 5. This is Christ speaking when he says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. They made light of it. Same word as the word to neglect. 
And in this parable, the Lord certainly reveals the thing that leads to neglect when he tells how the invited guests went their ways and tended to their own things. It brings to mind the first chapter of Haggai, where the prophet proclaims, It is time for you, O ye, or is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste, reference being made to the temple that they had returned to the land to rebuild. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none more. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house." Boy, if ever there was a minor prophet that could be labeled a current prophet, I would say it's the prophet Haggai. We run to our own ways. We've got our own things to do. The Lord's kingdom, well, I'll get to it maybe if I have time and if I have any resources and if I'm not too tired. Maybe. That's what neglect amounts to. Turning each one to his own way, You might say it amounts to using the endowments the Lord has equipped you with for your own purposes. And when a Christian does that, and this comes out so clearly in those words in Haggai, he spins his wheels but goes nowhere. That's the picture Haggai paints for us in his prophecy. It doesn't matter how much effort is exerted, the person who has neglected his gift has neglected his service, and you won't find satisfaction in this world by living for self. You were not created for that. You certainly were not redeemed for that. So don't neglect your service to your Lord and Savior. Don't neglect your time with Him. Don't neglect the place of prayer. Don't neglect time in the Word. Neglecting these things is tantamount to neglecting salvation itself. And the author of Hebrews poses the challenging question to those that are negligent, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So that's the negative part of the coin, okay? Don't neglect the endowments the Lord has bestowed upon you for service to him. The other text in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6 gives the other side of the coin, or what you might call the positive side to the command, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. The phrase stir up is a single word in Greek. 
It's used nowhere else in the New Testament. It's a compound word, part of which contains the word fire. So one lexicon defines it this way as meaning to kindle up, to inflame one's mind and strength and zeal. You could interpret it as meaning light the fire. Light the fire of devotion to your Savior. Dig deep and muster up all the gumption you can to live for and serve your Savior and his church and his people. Don't let the world distract you. Don't let the flesh pull you down. Don't let the devil divert your attention to things that aren't really all that important. I like the way my favorite paraphrased version translates our text. It's a good quote to close on. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 4, 14, from the Message translation, which is a paraphrase. And that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed, keep that dusted off and in use. That tells the story pretty well, doesn't it? And in 2 Timothy 1.6, from that same paraphrased version, And the special gift of ministry you received when I laid hands on you and prayed, keep that ablaze. Keep the fire lit. You have been gifted by the Lord. Each one of you. No exceptions. Your gift may not be as prominent or visible as other Christians' gifts, but you have been gifted. Every man hath his proper gift of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 7, Don't neglect your gift then. Neglecting your gift amounts to hiding your lamp under a bushel. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Oh, may the Lord help you to light the fire and keep it burning. The advancement of his kingdom and the building of his church calls for you to stir up your gift to the service of Jesus Christ. May God help us all then to take it to heart. Let's close in prayer. O Lord, as we bow in thy presence now and bring this service to a close, we thank thee that when you saved us, you gave us things to do, tasks to perform in connection with our service to Christ. And O Lord, we recognize that every gift comes from thee, So we need not be jealous of what someone else may have that we don't have. Indeed, we thank you, Lord, that we have the liberty to thank God for the way you've gifted others. Lord, as I look upon even this little congregation before me today, I thank thee that it is not hard to perceive that these folks are gifted Help each one to realize it and help us not to be negligent, but help us indeed to stir up the endowments that thou hast blessed us with 
as we consecrate those endowments to the service of Christ, our Savior and King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.